Hello there, friends. Andrea with the Bangs here. And this is a very special episode of She Wonders Why. This is a crossover episode, if you will, where I was able to partner with my friend Mercury's channel, Sorting Myself Out. And we were each able to co-host an interview with Jonathan Pajot. I have been wanting to talk to Jonathan for a while, and Mercury was kind enough to invite me to uh, partner with this episode, and I'm very, very excited for you guys to see it. Um, it is completely unedited because I am just trying to live a little bit dangerously. So we talk about, well, we talk about symbolism because that is Jonathan Pejo's specialty. I end up going on a number of tangents with him, but it was kind of wonderful. So please tell me what you think. Leave me a comment, give me a like, and please remember to subscribe. And without further ado, here is Jonathan Peugeot. This is Jonathan Peugeot. Okay, so welcome one and all. I'm Mercury Black, the lunatic co-host of Sorting Myself Out. I'm joined today by Andrea Lewis from the YouTube channel Andrea with the Bangs, and she's agreed to assist me with my interrogation of Jonathan Peugeot. Now, this usually goes best when you start with the good cop, so I'm going to hand this over to you, Andrea, and why don't you see if you can get any information out of it character uh the minute you're not cooperating jonathan i'm stepping in so I all right I andrea I <laughs> I, i'll we should have come up with a secret signal but okay <laughs> <laughs> okay so hello jonathan peugeot it's I, good to meet everybody yes i am very excited to be in this little cohort it's my first little team up with another channel so i am glad it's i'm glad it's here i'm glad it's now so Okay, Mercury, Mercury and I were speaking yesterday and we got this idea of like, you know, because symbolism, um, the, the king's court and the sub is our subject, but we, rather than the king, like we're tired of hearing about him, we're at least, at least in this, in for purposes of this, this chat. So we're, I'm thinking about like the queen and then for Mercury's sake i wish it was you saying this but i am saying it the the jester slash fool so i i am representing the the feminine the queen. Here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well mercury's got his misfits shirt on so it's perfect yeah, yeah i'm already labeled as a dog-headed man i know okay i just wanted you to so say it just... knows what he'll be talking to me about <laughs> okay you said it you said it okay but and and then i'm all like but like i'm the queen but no but i i i definitely in this space represent the feminine anyway but i would like to hear about it from you because okay i've i've heard a lot from say initially jordan peterson and then from you, and even when we talk about the the margins, it's we hear about monsters to uh, some female, but mostly male. And I'm I'm really interested in like the feminine in in the different walks of life. So I'm gonna borrow from Game of Thrones slash Ancient Greece, 
So we have the maiden slash the virgin, the mother, and then the crone, aka the three fates. Um, so I'm I'm that I'm kind of volleying it. I'm gonna volley it over. Yeah, you forgot the Amazon. The Amazon is important. Oh, okay. Oh, oh, right, because she's the one. Okay, so there are women on the market. Especially for today. Today, the Amazon is all important because that's pretty much the only character left. Pretty much. Well, then, okay, take it away. Should we start there? Should we start with sure. the Amazon? Where, oh, I mean, okay, let's start. it's not a good idea to start with the Amazon. You finish okay, the Amazon okay, okay, at the okay. end. Let's start with the, the first walks of life. Let's start with the, the maiden, then, if that's right. okay. Well, I mean, maybe we can talk about, I mean, maybe we could talk about feminine, feminine characteristics. Um, the first thing that's important to understand is that we have to be careful when we talk about these categories that we don't we don't flatten the category with people and that's really that's sometimes a dangerous thing where we are all people right so you're a person you're not you are a woman you are feminine but you're not only that and it's the same for me so we symbolism is fractal so Every aspect of reality has both a masculine and, and feminine aspect, let's say, right? So each person also, but in a social system, then certain people are male and then certain people are female. And then the males will have a more masculine role and the females will have a more feminine role, let's say. But it's really important to be careful not to, because sometimes it can avoid it sometimes becoming personal where people want it to be personal. You know, it's like, mm. well, I don't, I'm not like that or I don't feel this or whatever. So we we all exist on scales of these things. Like nobody is only one aspect, you know, as a, as a person, that's what important to talk about, to say, first of all, um, and second of all, so the notion of the feminine is really the idea that you could, the first way to talk about it would be to talk about the idea of space right? The idea of space and an actor in space. And so the feminine is space. And so that means that when the feminine is represented as the maiden, then she becomes the space that will motivate the action of the hero, right? So she becomes the, the, she becomes the reason for the hero to, to advance and to make himself better. Okay. In that sense. And well, the idea of the virgin, first of all, is also the notion of pure potentiality. So untouched space, you would say, right? Undefiled or un, in the pure nature, all this kind of imagery is totally, like that idea of mother nature, for example, is not, is not at all arbitrary. It makes complete sense that you have the, this kind of virgin natural world, which is untouched or unmodified, not modified, something like that. Um, and so the maiden can have that role as well. And so it appears to the hero as something extremely desirable because it's something that you want to conquer in a way. I mean, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of it's, it can sound bad when you say it that way, but it's the idea of when you, I have the idea of conquering a, a, a lady, conquering her heart is a better way to say it. If you say conquering her heart, it sounds better. But the idea is, is that you have this, you want to join yourself with this pure potential. And, and then, then the, the virgin becomes the, the mother. And then the relationship between the virgin and the mother, then there's a transformation where then the space, the, the space of desire for action. So 
let's say the hero has this desire. He sees something which entices him to want to act. Then, it, then when the union happens, then it becomes the space for the home. So the house, the home, the womb, all this imagery of space in order for the child to grow within, within the space. Um, and so that's usually mostly, most feminine symbolism will manifest in that, in that role, let's say. But the thing that's complicated about feminine symbolism is that, especially when you think about a queen, for example, is that this happens at every level of reality. So we have this idea of a coupling that happens at every level of reality. And so there, so people will think, oh, man above, woman below, you know, like you see this like heaven and earth type of thing. So that you can see that there's a hierarchical relationship and, you, and it's presented that way in the Bible and in, in a lot of traditional stories, but that it happens because it happens at every level. It also means that at the level of kingship, there's a coupling Right. And then at the level of society, there are couplings. And then at the level of your family, there's a coupling. Um, and then in your own soul, like in your own self, there's a coupling. Right. So it just it just kind of fractally fits itself into each other. And so so that's why you can have a king and a queen. And the, the king is above you and the queen is above you as well. Just like when you're a child, your mother is above you. Right. Your mother is not the same, the relationship you have your, with your mother is not the same that will happen that will be with your wife. It's a very, it's a different relationship, right? It's a relationship of seeing the feminine, the heavenly feminine, you could call it something like that. And then the earthly feminine or some, some there's different ways to say it, but uh, that's a good way to, to pronounce it. And then there are figures that join it all together. Right? There's one figure, the mother of God, Mary, she joins all the images together. So she's wife, she's virgin, she's mother, she's, 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 all the, she's all the images of the feminine kind of boiled into one. And so she's both the earth in the sense of the, ma the matrix of reality, but she's also the heavenly queen. And she's the, she's the virgin, but she's also the, the, the queen in the sense that she's actually crowned and joined with her with her son, which looks like an incestuous thing. But in terms of symbolism, in terms of ultimate symbolism, it makes sense if you try to bring, to bring the image of the feminine to one figure. It all has to kind of boil into this one thing. Um, so that's the basic idea of the feminine. I don't know if that makes sense. Sometimes I feel I'm speaking no, no, very it abstractly it for does, people to but understand. I like that you gave the little, like, warning. Like, you... I know that some people want to think of it per, from a personal perspective and and so we have to understand that there are dichotomies and and fractal like bonds that go to like you know showing this way and that way and and it's not all one thing but i it absolutely is like personal <laughs> like but what what's my hero's journey like like what is i i totally completely understand the woman as home the woman as you you are coming to find me like i understand that and it does resonate at a really deep level but at the same time i want a purpose i want an aim well and, there and is i can i can tell you what the purpose of the feminine is that you can't have one without the other they they're complementary and so so you have the image of the hero who who saves the princess from chaos, let's say, who, who separates the potentiality 
that is useful from the potentiality that's destructive. Okay, that's usually what when when you save the the virgin from the dragon, it's as if you're taking potential potentiality that's that's useful. You're separating the the a good way to say it, that which is very Mesopotamian, is you're separating the salt water from the fresh water. So you have fresh water, which is useful, and you have salt water, which is deadly, right? And mm -hmm. so that's this idea of the of the. So the hero comes and he conquers the the virgin. He conquers the the the, the maiden. Okay, now the reason why he's conquering her is because she is giving him focus. Right? He wouldn't be a hero without her. He wouldn't. He wouldn't. He wouldn't do anything. He would just sit around and play video games and eat and eat chips and and, <laughs> and 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 that's what he would do, right? Because the the feminine is is the 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 frame of reality. Mm, so okay. a, a, an image, the best image of the feminine, I think, one of the best images of uh, is in scripture. You have Mary, who at the wedding of Cana, this is one of the most mysterious and amazing stories ever told. So Mary, there's this wedding and they run out of wine. And Mary says to Christ, they ran out of wine. So what she's doing is she's presenting a problem. She's presenting a, 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 a quest. It's very little, it seems like a little quest, but she's presenting a quest. She's, she's framing reality. She's saying, this is the frame. Now you have to answer the question. Here's the question. You answer the question. But that, that question, that's, that's a very, very powerful thing. I don't think you can understand how powerful that is. There's, there's a great quote in My Big Fat Greek Wedding, which, seems, which looks very cliche or kind of silly when you hear it, but there, everybody has heard it, where the, the woman says, to her daughter, she says, the man is the head of the household, but the woman is the neck. And it's a great quote. It's an amazing, it's an amazing insight into the feminine because what she's saying is the woman will decide what the man looks like, looks at. She will frame reality. She's going to give him the frame and then he's going to answer, but he's going to answer within that frame. Mm. So when, when Mary says, there's no wine. She's saying, okay, act. Reveal yourself. Manifest the logos. But mm. manifest it in this question. Right? It would be silly for it would be silly if she said there's no wine. And then Christ, you know, changes stones into bread. Like, why are you changing stones into bread? I said there's no wine. Right? That's the issue. That's the frame. Now act within that frame. Okay. And so that's why. I mean, Jordan Peterson talks about this, but it, you have to, you can understand it at a very deep level. That is, that's why the stories of stories like, um, like Beauty and the Beast are about a, a woman who tames a wild man. She gives him purpose. She, she, she focuses his energy so that he can act, right? And so, and so the idea would be that the, the feminine hero's journey is to, is to properly frame reality. I mean, that sounds very abstract, but in practice, it can be very, it can be extremely practical, right? It can be extremely practical uh, because that's also what, you know, that's also in a way what 
mothers do with children, right? They create a frame within which the children will act. And that frame is extremely important, that house, that home, all of that is extremely important. But it's not limited to the idea, like I said, of, of it's not limited to the kind of cliche 50s wife of making a home, although it's part of it. But there is really this more powerful image, which is that without the frame, there's nothing. Mm-hmm. Nothing happens. Because the logos manifests himself, an answer only comes for, from a question. Okay. If there's no question, there's that. no speaking. Oh, if, there's no, okay. if there's no question, there's no, there's no manifestation. So, okay, does it make sense to say that women, so women are the question slash, sorry, not women. I guess you could say feminine or women. Like they're the call to action. They're the question. Yeah. But it's, a, okay. it's, a, it's, but it's really important to understand that the call to action is more than what you think. It's more than just a call to action. It's an actual framing of reality. It's deciding what's important. Okay. It's actually, it's, it's, it's relevant realization in the way that John Vervecki talks about it. It's framing the, the discourse. Okay. So framing the discourse is, is, comes before the discourse. Oh, I'm just thinking mother nature came first. Well, <laughs> it's, it's, it's all being revealed, Jonathan. <laughs> well, you can see, you can see that if you look at if you look at the imagery in scripture, you have this sense that, so you have this sense that there is this, the, the, the chaos or the matrix. It's, it's like a, it is like desire in a way. It's like calling, it's asking, it's saying what? So what, like what, what, what is going to come of this? Like what, what is going to happen? And so, but that question is, like I said, is the, is the very primordial, and you can see it in in the story of of uh, of Mary at the wedding of Cana, because she is basically bringing Christ to to into his mission, and that's why when she says there's no wine, Christ answers, "My time is not yet come," which is just sounds like the craziest answer to answer, because he's basically saying, "I'm not ready to die." But she's asking him about wine. Like, why is it that she's asking him that saying there's not wine? And he's saying, hey, wait a minute. I'm not ready to die yet. Because he understands that she is actually opening the door for him. And she's saying, here's your path. Take it. This is it. Like, I'm, op- I'm opening the door. You, take, you have to take the path now. Okay. How many times have I read that? I've never seen. <laughs> oh, you've never seen that? But I've read it. I've read it like I like I, I I have a degree in Christian studies and minor in, in Christian oh, history. Oh, you've never seen that in the in the text. I've I've never I've read it and I I know the story, but I've never seen what you, I've never seen it. Like, do you know what I mean? So, like, it, I didn't but Eve see does the, the same thing. Eve does the same. Mary is an anti-Eve. Eve Eve takes the apple. What are you gonna do, Adam? Are you going to bite it or not? And he, he bites. She presents, oh, okay. she presents possibility and he takes the, he takes the bait. And, but Mary does the same. Mary is basically, and it's, it's exactly the same, but it's, it's in reverse because right. Ma- Ma- Eve is leading Adam to death. Okay. And Mary is leading Christ to death. 
but because it's, he says he says it's not my time yet. He say he knows it's going to lead him to death. He knows he's going to die if he takes if he if he does this. Right, but there's there is salvation waiting. That's right. That's it. That's the the, the the transformation of death into glory that I'm always talking about, and that's okay. what's happening in that story. Okay, okay. I feel like I've taken up so much time, Mercury. <laughs> Let's go to the margins. Let's go to the margin from. Before we jump into the freak show, just go while we're on the subject of the divine feminine. Um, one thing, Jonathan, that you might want to do, uh, like a pop culture reaction to, for the purpose of outlining some of what you were saying, is uh, Masters of the Universe. So I don't know if you're familiar with that cartoon from when we were little, but Kevin Smith is going to be bringing it back, and okay. so that may become more culturally relevant soon, but. The key thing is that Prince Adam is lies around doing nothing, is a waste of potential. He's got this tiger named Cringer that is afraid of everything. And it's not until the sorceress, who's trapped within Castle Grayskull, protecting all the powers of the universe, so in other words, God. And when she finds Prince Adam, she gives him the sword that he holds up to say by the power of Grayskull. And so without her, he lies around napping and not doing anything the king hmm. wants him to do, and his cat is a coward. With the yeah, divine that makes total power, sense. That turns into battle cat. He turns into He-Man, which there's nothing more masculine, and then is tasked with protecting her and all the secrets of Castle Grayskull. So, is this He-Man like as in the He-Man and Shira situation? Yeah, like the because I collect vintage toys, so I've got okay. All the He-Man toys, huh? All over the place here. But that may become bigger in culture because Kevin Smith's continuing the series. Um, and I would love to see you do a video one day on the original Masters of the Universe, the Divine Feminine Masculine. Hmm. Um, yeah, cool. I, when I was a kid, it was that's what I mean. I remember watching that when I was a kid. That was that was, it was playing. So yes, I do remember that. I don't. I think I even had some figures when I was a kid. I think I did have the He-Man figure. Actually, I'm pretty sure. Oh, I, I had a bunch as a kid, but also now, like my kids have some vintage He-Man. Okay. And I've got a like my room is full of old toys, so hmm. I've got just a pile of He-Man all over the place. Um, hold on, hold on to But you see, you see that in the story of King Arthur, you have a similar situation where, <clears throat> where the Lady of the Lake she presents. Uh, Arthur the sword but it's a very very old story right it, mm -hmm. in the story of um Gilgamesh we get the same we get the same story where Enkidu is presented as <clears throat> as a wild man in the forest who lives with the animals and mm -hmm. you know who can barely speak can barely do whatever and so the people of of Uruk send a uh, a prostitute to tame him basically and mm -hmm. so she kind of she kind of seduces him and then in seducing him, then she also teaches him to, to, do, to dress and then to eat food and et cetera, et cetera. And as he's doing that, the animals start to be afraid of him. And then finally, he kind of separates himself from nature and, uh, until he's, he's ready to face Gilgamesh in, uh, in a duel. But as I recall, he like curses her for waking him up on his deathbed. Really? <laughs> I okay okay I've just I that's as possible I, recall, I don't remember that I I just um listens to it there's a myths and legends po podcast mm -hmm. called 
myths and legends yes i like that podcast yeah i i, I have been going through it like crazy the past it's few great months. yeah yeah and so he does the epic of gilgamesh and i mean i just i just listened to it and so like it's he curses her. but she but she literally comes in the door being like oh really <laughs> and of course you know he's like he i mean he pulls an adam it's the woman you gave me you know but then but then you know she she sets him straight and and he's like okay maybe it's not so bad that i found that knowledge. i that i woke up okay yeah. oh, i'd have to i'd have, i'll have to listen to that version on the on the on the podcast I according think... to the to this version I'm, I'm like as if i've like really gone through the texts but no i just listened to the podcast He's, he does a pretty good job. He usually says it when he goes astray. Like he says, mm-hmm. I changed this or that, but he tends yeah. to try to stay pretty close to the, to the main narrative. He's, he's actually he's better at the first, the first podcast. They were unbearable because he was virtue signaling the whole time. He was always trying to show how he doesn't agree with the characters. And I, mm-hmm. I feel like he's gotten a lot better later in the, in the podcast where he stopped always virtue signaling all the time. Cause I mean, okay don't expect the, these stories to fit politically correct ideology. Just not, you know, just drop that before you start telling those stories because you're going to apologize all the time. I just, I do, I do really like the way that he, um, he's like, you know, Zeus is going to rape like he always does. Like he, he's quite, he, he kind of has his little quips. He yeah. found a way. He found, found a, a way to, to tell the story. Yeah. 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 Anyway. Okay. Are we are we are we are we gonna go? Yeah, I'm. I think it's. I do have one. Okay, speaking of the Greeks, because I do have one question. Um, that if we if you wouldn't mind indulging me one last. Okay, so right with regards to the feminine. Okay, mm-hmm. so Jonathan, a, a couple of weeks ago, I, I I actually asked you on Twitter and I tagged you about this, and you answered. But I remember being confused. So I'm like, oh, okay. if I ever get to talk to him, I'm going to. What did, I don't remember. I, I'm you horrible. Know, I know you've got a lot of, you've got a lot going on on Twitter. There's a lot of, I'm sure you get tagged a lot. But, okay, I asked about, I thought it was odd that of the three perpetual virgin goddesses, Hestia is one, the goddess of the hearth. And I thought that was odd because she, like, the hearth is the center of the home for women. Well, <laughs> well for everyone, but like right. for, for women. So that's why I, I, and you actually answered, but I just. You wonder I, I why didn't... I answered what I did. Okay, I, I remember now what I answered. Okay. Uh, I mean, the idea is that, so the idea would be to understand the, the center, right? The, the let's say the ideal meeting of heaven and earth if you ide- if you idealize it you actually have this idea that i don't know how to explain it it's like to in order for the 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 feminine to be to fully manifest everything that's that's where the idea of virginity comes from and so in christianity we take it to the extreme which is the virgin mother and so she is perpetual virgin but she's also a mother and so because of that she's actually the mother of all because she's she remains untouched you could say so she she remains the matrix underneath the world right and so the hearth which is the center so the so the you can understand you can understand masculine and feminine as like heaven and earth as like two categories like this 
But then it, when you have a mountain, let's say, or you have a center, you have a category, then you can understand the category as, as a center. And the center is made out of a masculine and feminine element. So let's say in the temple or in the tabernacle, you have the seat, the throne of God, and then you have the glory of God, which sits on the throne, right? If you look at an icon of, of Christ and his mother, you'll see often he's sitting on her lap and she is called the throne of wisdom, right? And so she's, okay. she's the throne and he's the glory of God on the throne, right? The, the image of Christ on his mother's lap is an image of the, of, the, of, the, uh, of the Ark of the Covenant with the glory of God on it, okay? And so the idea is that the center is made out of the frame and the name or the answer, the question and the answer the opening of space and the manifestation of space. Okay, so the virgin represents the potential of could could go anywhere. Yeah, Is and that... so yes, exactly. But you can okay. so you can understand it as so the ultimate feminine is unbounded potential. Right? Okay. So it's okay, it's, it's Tobo, it's the it's the it's it's Mara, you know, it's the chaos at the at the the beginning of time, right? It's the 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 first this first separation of heaven and earth, right? But then there's also framed, there's a framed version. So there's a universal question, which is, is there going to be something like, is there going to be something or nothing? Like you could say that it's like the universal question. Is there going to be something or nothing? And then there are framed questions. And then those become more like the home. So you, but you can represent it in its virginal state because that's the frame. So why you can the, say why, that. Why does the, the home want to be framed in the eternal potential? No, but it's just it's just different aspects of the feminine, and so potentiality, potentiality is potentiality, but there is only one unbounded potentiality. There's only it's the only one, and then there are different levels of potentiality depending. So like there's a there's the potentiality within within basketball, right? So the potentiality within basketball is the frame of the game. And then within that frame, then certain things can happen. But, but a pickup truck can't participate in a basketball game. That potential is not available to the basketball game. Okay. Right? And so everything has a, has a frame, has a limit, has things which delimit its reality. And then within that reality, the discourse can occur. So, I mean, I use basketball, but I could use any, anything, right? Okay, so, thinking, so you can represent that as you can represent it as a as a virgin if you want. Like it can be it can be a way of manifesting that. So the hearth, the center of the home. So okay, so you have the hearth and you have the fire mm -hmm. in the hearth, okay? Mm -hmm. And so you would say that that Hestia is the goddess of the hearth. So she's the goddess of the space in which the fire burns, which lights the, the house, but then also becomes the center. So, so the identity, the frame of the identity, and then the identity, the manifestation of the identity or the particular of the identity. Okay. Does that make more yeah. sense? Yeah, it just brings up, like, I'm like, oh yeah, those, the vestal virgins who had to attend the fire for their lives. Like, like, like they, they literally became what you're describing figuratively. Yeah, so an example, an example in Greece is, a, there's a great example, the, uh, the example of the, of the, what's her name, the, 
Adelphi, Delphi. The, oh, um, the Oracle at Delphi. The or, like, so the Oracle at Delphi is a perfect example. So the Oracle is a, is a, is a woman. And so she receives this like raw intuition, right? She receives this like raw, we don't know how she got it. We don't know what she did, but she received this like raw intuition. And then she would say a bunch of stuff. But the people who came to ask the, the, the Oracle for information would never meet the Oracle. They would meet the priest because the Oracle would speak to the priest. And then the priest would, would take that potential and then would focus it for an answer to give to that person. Oh. So the priest would always interpret the oracle for the for the for the the, the person coming to ask the question. So if okay. someone came with a question, you there would be two parts of it. One would be this like raw potential mixing up of the soup or of knowledge or whatever and then out of it would come a bunch of associations and then the priest would associate would would focus that to answer the question the question okay so he'd be bring order from the chaos of her potential but it's framed chaos it's not pure chaos it's right. it's, it's, it's okay it's, it has okay. a certain limit it's just right. like uh so all forms of of divination are that so you 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 take a bunch of bones, you know, you throw the bones and then they fall. So there's this like chaotic, weird thing that manifests some intuition or some associations. And then, but you need someone to interpret it without it. It's nothing right where it, you need both. Okay. Just like in scripture, you have uh, the tongues where people say a bunch of stuff, but mm -hmm. in scripture, it says, if you don't have an interpreter, then it's, it's pointless. Okay. Lots to think about. I'm trying to find all million of analogies to help. No, 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 it is. It. No, it, it's, it's, it's one of those things where it makes sense all the things you're saying. And I just need to um, think about it more. At the it's also hard arc. to think. It's hard, to, it's hard for us to think that way because we're not used to, we're not used to seeing the world that way. And so it's difficult sometimes for us to kind of, we can, intu yes. like you can intuit it, but it's, all of a sudden your rational mind comes back and says, well, that's not how things work. Like that's not. Well, well absolutely. I feel very deprived of being from a Protestant like background. I'm from a I Protestant feel, background. You'll, you'll, you'll do fine. I, but, but from the, well, for, with regards to the feminine, like it's just, Mary is like really demoted. Yeah, for sure. Like for sure. Protestantism is extremely so masculine. Mary was very important. Yeah. Yeah. So she got really. Yeah. push to the forefront for you yeah but then in the protestant space it's like what's really just down there? yeah well not just mary but also the fact the reason the fact that protestants removed the 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 apocryphal book they also removed uh the whole wisdom of solomon part which is which is which is this kind of discussion with a which feels like it's god talking to his kind of cosmic consort or like a this idea of this sacred, this like divine feminine or something like I, we're not supposed to say it that way, but it's like, there's, there's really is this thing happening in wisdom of Solomon. Like there really is this, this relationship, uh, which, which got a lot of theologians into trouble uh, recently, but it's still, there's still something there going on. Like there's still something there. I will have to take a look. Yeah, you should, you should, <laughs> you should do that. Okay. okay the margins. Mercury, go.
<laughs> All right, carnival time. All right, let's talk about carnival. Quickest way to summarize me, because I assume you know nothing about me, right, Jonathan? Okay. Uh, <laughs> so I was a Catholic altar boy as a teenager, got into punk and all that, independent film. Um, just before turning 27, I got hit by a bus. Oh. That triggered me being bipolar type 1 uh, at a very high setting of insanity. Uh, complete psychosis, first time around, all revelation-based uh, into the mental institution. Got out. My first cycles were three years long, so mm. two years of suicidal depression. Uh, tried to put myself together again. Another end-of-the-world scenario, this time much more 2012-related. Uh, mm. Anyway, marched into another sane asylum, this time naked, bloody, handcuffed, wrists and ankles. Um, after that, I went into isolation. I got a house a farm right near my parents. I didn't tell anyone where I was going. Uh, the first two years, no phone, no internet, no car, never left, couldn't see any neighbors. I just had all my supplies dropped off. Um, as I came out of that, I encountered an archangel. Um, being aware both of the psychological uh, Richard Dawkins perspective that this could all be in my head and having the sub-personalities that were total believers I interacted with the archangel that way, where I examined it from every angle. And continuing to live basically in isolation, it took me through a variety of training. Um, I thought I was going to live as a hermit forever, but at a certain point, I was asked to open myself up to the world a bit. And the deal I made with God was that I didn't want any of that messianic crap to come up. I didn't want to be telling people what they should do with their life. So I said, look, I just want to focus on figuring myself out and continue my training. If the world needs anything from me, have the world to ask me directly. And other than that, I'll worry about myself. Gradually, people came into my life needing help in one way or another, often people with serious mental issues. Um, but it progressed to the point where, at a certain point, uh, my archangel, um, I'd come across Jordan Peterson from his uh, Jungian depth psychology. I'm not interested in politics. And I saw, and that's how I encountered Andrew, was his talk with Jordan Peterson. And um, my archangel said, uh, subscribe to that guy's channel, you'll be helping him out. And I thought, like, what am I supposed to do for Andrew? And, you know, my angel's like, never mind, just subscribe, we'll let you know. And all of Andrew's stuff about diet and exercise had very little interest to me. Um, I was interested, I saw his talks with you and such, but then one day he put something up comparing a quote from Peterson with a quote from Alan Moore on magic with the, and he was connecting the fact that they're both saying, look, whether the gods are inside you or outside you doesn't make a difference. They're fucking real, man. Take them seriously. And when I saw that, you know, my angel laughed and was like, see, he needs to talk to you. So I reached out to Andrew and uh, we became friends, but also I kind of mentored him a little bit um, and he would ask my advice on the channel. Eventually he asked me to go on the channel and the response to the three podcasts I'd done with him was a lot of people asking me to start my own channel. And my angel said I didn't have to and I was like, screw that, I'm not, I don't barely know how to use my computer. So I let that go, but eventually when Andrew wanted to stop doing his channel, he asked me to take it over. And that time my angel and the other people in my life all said like, yeah, you should do this. 
So that's how I ended up getting involved with sorting myself out. And since then, like since the quarantine started, because I put out, uh, I'd been very inactive over, like I have a yearly cycle. So I die in the fall and spend the winter in the crypt, come alive every spring. When quarantine hit, I went online and sort of asked the community, does anyone need anything? You know, I've been really in, not that active, but, you know, my angel said to check with everyone. And since then, that's exploded. I've been working full time for the past two months, either doing content for the channel, hosting Zoom events and sort of facilitating group meetings, or um, I do private sessions with people and they'll use me in from anything from what you'd want to talk to a psychologist about because i know quite like i'll take whatever angle the person wants if someone wants to talk psychology i know a lot about that other people come to me essentially the way you would a shock like i need a malfunctioning brain to run some info through to get some you know more random into the results um and some people use me sort of like a priest or an emotional confidant um i do a lot of counseling people through suicide or psychotic states. Oh, sorry, not counseling them through suicide. I don't teach people how to commit suicide. I mean, I counsel them when they're feeling suicidal. Right. To not I understood what you were saying. <laughs> but um, you have been talking about the monsters and the holy pools for quite a while. And you know what happens when you talk about monsters too much, you end up face to face with one. And so most of your discussions of the holy pool have been explaining it to the normies out there uh what advice do you have for those of us who are dog-headed men finding themselves thrust into that position um that's a really tough question uh i, I mean i think the bad cop here Andrew. yeah no it's okay it's okay <laughs> soft balls here so the best so the best thing that the best thing that let's say the monsters can do in their role of monsters. We also have to be careful. Again, when I talk about these categories, we're not, we're none of us are limited to one category, right? So when I talk about categories, I'm not talking about people, but the best thing that the, the monsters can, can do is, well, there are two, there are two aspects. One is to act as guards and the other is to act as bridges. And so, they they stand on the the edge and and they are kind of usually they're not seen well from the the center right they're seen as as freaks they're seen as kind of just not kosher not right a little bit off all of this is the perception of the center but their their positive role can really be those two because they're so close to the to the dark side or so close to the bigger monsters, then they can, on the one hand, extend their hand out and tame the bigger monsters. You could say it that way. So they can, they can act as bridges to the outer world. And the other way is that they also guard the inside from the bigger monsters that don't want to be tamed, you know, that, that are, that are threatening to destroy it, you know, um, and so you can understand that it's kind of like, it's like anything, it's like anybody who has, you can think of it as someone who was an alcoholic, for example, right? And so the, the, someone who has touched that world, who's, who's kind of been affected by that world, then 
will always be a, can be a bridge, you know, to bring people in, you know, but the thing is that that's the positive aspect. The negative aspect is that the monster can also be a bridge going out and can also pull people from the inside towards the outside, you know, the same thing with an, with a, with a, with an alcohol, with an alcoholic, like uh, someone who, who has those tendencies can pull people from the inside into addiction, but can pull people out of addiction into, uh, you know, a, a more, let's say ordered life. So that's what I would say that that's the two positive roles that, that the monsters can play gargoyles and bridges, St. Christopher and the gargoyles. Well, St. Christopher is also a guard. He's, he, he's, we tend to represent him mostly as a bridge in the sense that he carries Christ, but he's also a warrior. He's also a warrior saint. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, that all made sense to me. Um, I think like, the only thing missing there for if some other monsters watching this is I've also found that one thing I've been able to be of service of is um, like one of my spiritual practices is uh, being a psychopomp. Having learned how to be mindful. I don't know what that is. What a psychobomb? A psychopomp? Psychopomp. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah, yes. Okay. I know what that is. Yes. Um, that makes people, sense. Wait, what if I don't? <laughs> <laughs> The psychopomp, um, like crossing the river Styx uh, or Mercury, um, okay, across worlds and assisting others in transition, like in okay, people into the underworld. So, so it's that's a guard and a and a bridge. That's mm -hmm. what that's what the psychopomp does. The psychopomp okay. is the one who crosses you over the waters, like Saint Christopher or. And then, and then he's also the one who guards, who prevents those who are supposed to cross. If you're not supposed to cross, you can't get on the boat. He's not going to let but you. By. He's not going to let you through. What we also do is sometimes go into the underworld to bring people up who've gotten yeah. lost. And yeah. So that's when someone's suicidal. That's yeah. a psychopomp. Because I've learned I can manage mindfulness during extreme suicidal states. Um, oh, and I don't take medication anymore. Mm. All my magic and spiritual nonsense is entirely how I manage my condition. And like all, like I don't even use um, psychologists or therapists anymore either. Um, but I can, because I have no problem going into hell anymore, I've learned how to be mindful and non-judgmental. And uh, instead of saying, God, take this away from me, saying, God, let me understand why I'm going through this and put it to use. I can go those places with people and a lot of people have a little bit of the monster in them and it's hard for them to face that and if you can be a monster who's okay with who you are it will other people will open up to you about things that they won't talk to anyone else about because yeah, they know you're sure. not going to judge them yeah. but also if you're like me where you've learned how to be mindful and how to manage your own suicidal states and psychosis hmm. then there's other people out there that we can help in a way a psychologist can't or a psychiatrist yeah. can't who's never been through it. Um, and I never, everything I do isn't, it's, it's not instead of your psychiatric help. It's like if you're taking all the help you can and you're still completely losing your mind, I've got other techniques. Um, so those are the other things I found the monster can also do in this, in society. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, it seems like that what you're saying, in, at least in terms of structure, it makes sense. You, that's, you know, you, 
have the whole image of the, like I said, the ex-prisoner or the ex-alcoholic or the someone who has been in the dark side who might still, like you said, struggle with some aspects of it, but is enough, you know, has it has been able to manage their desires or to manage enough of it so that they can they can be a guide for those who are still kind of lost. Yeah, I'm no less crazy than I was during my cycle. It's just that unlike Peterson Slay the Dragon, I just tamed it. And I know how I know now what psychosis is for, mania is for. I know how to manage that and make it productive. And mm. you gotta do all your shadow work and stuff, because with the spiritual, you can connect to something real. But stuff up there is so malleable that if you're being run by all your subconscious desires, you just project all your shadows into the energies and hear back your own bullshit. So mm. it's like once you do all your own work and um, I don't even know what to call it, once you've cleared out your shadow and integrated yourself or whatever, mm. once you've done that, you can interact with all of that. So I can ride the ups and downs now <clears throat> and I make productive use of it. And yeah. the more you do your work, the more clearly you can hear all the fucking imaginary friends you have, the saints and angels. At first, you you hear it, but then it's like playing a game of telephone. You completely mix it up before you tell others. And the more you do your self-work, the more clearly you can pass things on while never losing track of the fact that there's not a single one of us telling the truth. We're all filtering what we learn from God or from the outside world. So if it's the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, like none of us have that. So I'm always staying mindful aware as well that I'll say like, this is how I'm seeing things, but I'm sure it's not accurate. I'm just trying to be as accurate as I can. Yeah, and the truth, the, the truth is, is complicated because the truth is also based on the question. It's based on the, the frame of the situation. The, mm -hmm. There is no pure raw truth like there's only an answer to a, a question so that's why like you said you don't you always adjust the answer to what is being asked and that is not a lie if you're if you're doing it forthrightly you're you're gauging the reason for the question you're gauging you're gauging all of that you know and then you answer based on that on on what you gauge from the situation so I think I think that makes sense. In terms of we talked about taming the the dragon, you know, there are versions of the St. George story where he, that's what he does, that he doesn't kill the dragon, that he tames the dragon, he turns him into like a pet dog and he brings he brings him on a leash into the village and then shows everybody makes him do tricks and kind of, kind of stuff. <laughs> so Andrew, on that subject of mm. psych and freaks did you have anything you wanted clarification on? i do i do it actually i just wanted to say that little the the dragon doing tricks reminds me of that the latest pixar onward i haven't seen they it. have oh, okay well they have a a little dragon dog it does tricks just like what you said um yeah, yeah i actually i would be really interested for you to do a video on that because there's a lot of questing in that in, in that the movie. onward movie yeah yeah um, yeah, because it's it's magic. Well, whatever. You you need to watch it. Um, but okay, sorry. Or or do if you want. You don't have to. <laughs> I'm all like telling you what to the do. The thing about these, the thing is that I used to make video a lot of videos on those kind of movies because my kids would watch them, and that's why I would watch them. Because I don't actually. This is like my my dark secret is I actually really don't watch a lot of movies. Like very few. Okay. I almost never watch movies. Uh, and so 
I usually watch them with the family, like I'll watch them with my kids. And so you'll see that like my, the, the level of my movie interpretations, like they start with like Moana and oh, Turn It yeah. Away or whatever. And now it's yeah. like, like Avengers movies. And like, so oh, my kids, yes. my son is 15 and my daughter's 12. So, so okay. it's, it's just, that's just ends up being the movie that I watch. Well, I mean, it does have like Star-Lord in it, you know, from Guardians of the Galaxy. And it also has I have to convince my kids to watch it because they don't want to. They're like, yeah, we're too old for that now. We don't want to no, watch No, but those. like, oh my, like, I, I mean, my husband and I took our kids and we, we were, so they're, they're the, the two older ones. I have an eight-year-old, uh, six-year-old and four-year-old. They're, they're all boys. Hence my really my interest in the feminine masculine dichotomy. <laughs> anyway, because I'm surrounded by men. But anyway, um, but we yeah we went and my husband and I took the older two and went and like we looked at each other and we we're like hold it back, hold back the tears. Like we were like holding back cry. the torrid like the tears. It was whatever. It's really good. It's 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 an old. It actually feels like an older Pixar movie. Okay, I'm done with my pitch. I will move on. All right. But anyway, okay. Okay, I just really, really liked this movie a lot. Um, so yeah, um, it deals with loss, whatever they always do. But anyway, okay. So I, I do have a question with regards to- um, Monsters and whatnot. Yes, yes, the monsters. So we, I, I have a question regarding the, with, with tricksters. Those are on the outskirts, correct? Mm-hmm. Is that right? Okay. Yeah. I I remember hearing a Jordan Peterson mention this once, and I didn't really understand. And I actually I I think you've answered it, and I've forgotten what your answer was um, because you did a, a talk on on the fool. Um, I remember watching it, but I don't. I remember the question. I often forget the answer. So if you'll indulge me, <laughs> well, why is the trickster? I gave way too long of a preface for my question. Um, why is the trickster the, the precursor to the Messiah? Because when I, I've been hearing a lot of these trickster um, myths on Myths and Legends, the podcast, mm -hmm. and like you can't trust them. I mean, you just watch the Avengers movies, like Loki's the worst, <laughs> you know, but like he sometimes is the best. But you know, yeah, why is that the pre, why is, why is the trickster the precursor? Um, I, I think that's a quote from Jung. I mean, I don't know whether or not this is a systematic pattern i'd have to really think about it uh, okay. i do talk about the idea that in in the upside down right when the world is upside down then then the trickster or the fool turns the world right side up because that's what the the fool does the fool is always turning right the fool okay. is turning things so when the world is right side up the fool is turning it upside down right he, he's acting the fool is always acting kind of upside down right um and so that's that's mostly the way I understand it. So you could say that the fool comes before the the Messiah, or the trickster comes before the Messiah in a way that he has to level the world. So so Saint John the 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 for Saint John the Baptist, right? That's kind of he wasn't a trickster, but his role as the leveler, right? So the trickster or the fool is there to call out the the king, right? And so that's what St. Saint, Saint John does. St. John calls out Herod. He says, you know, you're doing this, you're doing that, you're doing all these horrible things. Uh, and then that is one of the leveling aspects of the making straight the ways of the Lord, right? Removing the current structure when it's corrupt. That's when I the trickster wanna, can be useful. 
I just want to point out I'm not a trickster for anyone who doesn't know me. I'm a fucking <laughs> lunatic. But my thing is authenticity, and I've taken like a sacred vow of honesty. So right, you're not a I'm trickster. I'm a fool, yeah, but yeah. I'm absolutely not a trickster. Yeah. So it's like, but you're right. It's not the same. A monster and a trickster are not the same. They're not. They don't have the same function. the The trickster really is the one who is who is showing that the showing that the pattern is wrong or undermining the pattern. That's what a trickster is always doing. A trickster is making you think you've got something, but there's something else going on. It's hypocrisy. It's a, it's a form of, it's, it's hypocrisy, right? It's like, he's showing that he's, so the good trickster would be the one who by his trickery is showing that, that the, the pattern is, is corrupt. He's le- he's breaking it down by, by, by undermining its, you know, the fact that it's limits, you could say something like that. He, it's, he's showing, he's showing the, okay. So, so there aren't that many like pure tricksters in scripture, but there are people who come close to it in this. So for example, Elijah is, that's what Elijah does, right? So Elijah, you know, he says, all right, so let's show, let's see, let's see what God, which God is going to answer. Make your, make your, uh, you know, put up your thing and let's call the fire, you know, light your, your, your sacrifice. We'll see which God answers. And then he's like, you know, and he's laughing at the, at the priest of Baal and making fun of them. And he's like, Oh, maybe your God is asleep. You know, what's going on? What's, what's happening with that? One of the, one of the most humoristic, one of the funniest scenes in the Bible is in, is in Elijah, is Elijah when he makes fun of the prophets of Baal. Cause he's like, you know, what's, is your God sleeping? Maybe you should, you should scream louder and wake him up, you know? Uh, and so he's showing that their system is false like their system is 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 saying something but it's not connecting to reality it's a it's a form of you know it's not it's not right um and so that's that's what i think so saint john i think that saint john the foreigner was doing something like that as well but he's not a he's not a trickster in the in the more kind of mythological sense you know right okay well i like you said it's not the the pure exact form and, and iteration in every um if you want to understand the pattern you also don't necessarily need it to be that you don't necessarily necessary to have to you don't have to have it for sure one of the tricksters in scripture is jacob like that well because sure. his name i was gonna ask about him like he literally his name means trickster he's well, totally not, a trickster. not literally sorry but yeah he, he is he's him. a snake like jacob is a snake for sure uh and it's a it's a funny it's hard to figure out Jacob. It's hard to totally understand. Like his, he's also, he's the, he's the name of, he's the name of the whole people. Like it's him. He's the, you know, they're named after him. So it's a, it's a, it's a weird, it's a weird story. Yeah. The well, story of Jacob is very strange. Well, that's the one, like, I, I, I remember a couple of years ago when I, like I watched, I, I, I binge watched Peterson's biblical lectures. <laughs> I mean, you know, you just, you have to, you just have to take them all in. Um, and when he goes through like the brothers, the, 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 what is it? The, re- not wrestling, but like the, the brother, well, he uses like Thor and Loki in the Avengers movies, like mm-hmm. the way they are portrayed, you know, like the, he uses them 
like having them be made brothers in the in the movie but like like the idea of like the wrestling brothers kind mm -hmm. of thing yeah and um and Cain and Abel is so much more clear cut who's the mm. good one and then when you get into these twins it's not so it's not clear, clear. Oh, no, and not. is that because it's like progressing into life like life gets more complicated or am i just reading into that it's a i mean i have my answer my answer is that it's setting up christ the whole thing is setting up the story of christ you know and i mean biblical scholars would tell me that i'm delusional to think that but so the idea is that you're it's like it's preparing it's preparing Edom, you would say, you know, it, it's, it's like setting up the idea of the, of this foreigner, which will then be like, let's say saved by, by, by Christ, you know, and it's a, it's a, it's a funny, it's a funny situation. And so it's like, why is it in scripture that Abel is the one that God loves? It doesn't say very vague it's very odd why why it's him and but there is there is a sense in which the first the firstborn or the first is lost in the fall that's a way to see it because oh, okay. because because esau is adam esau is edom that's his name his name is edom his name is Adam. It's the same word. It's just, it's the same thing. It's just been reworked. It means like red. He's names. the same. Oh, okay. He's the same. And so you have this sense that the first is lost. And so then, then after the, after the fall, you have this like loss of the head or loss of the first. And then you, then it's always the second or the last. It's never the first. Although in the law, there's this idea of the first, like it's always the, so the first born. Given the first this, as the first a that. sacrifice. But in the story, but, yeah. it's always, it's never the first. It's always it's Joseph, it's Jacob, it's Isaac. It's always, it's never the first. Is that, is that just, okay. <laughs> you're like, I'm like, is that to set up Christ? And you're like, yes. <laughs> Yo, for sure. I think it for sure. And then, so Christ saves the firstborn. That's what Christ does. Well, part of what he does. That's not all he does. One of the things Christ does is the firstborn. Sorry, I'm going through all yeah. of my firstborns in the Bible. <laughs> one of the things so Christ, one of the functions that Christ has is to save the firstborn. But are we not that's all? That's why fallen? he saves Rome. Like, just, that's why that's why Rome converts to Christianity, is because Christ is there to save Cain. Wait, how is Rome Cain? What's the story of Rome? Well, it's the, oh, it's brothers as well. It's Romulus and Remus, right? So Romulus kills Remus and founds a city. Yes. Cain kills Abel and founds a city. He founds a city. Thanks to my Myths and Legends podcast. The I first did city. listen to that one. <laughs> and so it's not, really it's not a surprise that, so it's not a surprise that, uh, the, that the Jews view Edom mm -hmm. as Rome. Okay. So in Jewish tradition, Rome, Edom is Rome. Rome is Edom. When Jews talk about Edom, they're talking about Rome. So what does that mean? Is it, is it the first shall be last principle of the, the turning hierarchies on their heads? Is that? Well, it, has to do with, it has to do with saving the world. So Christ, Christ, re, Christ restores the firstborn. Not just that, but that's part of what he does. So that's why Christ uses 
he uses imagery that is based on agriculture. He uses agricultural images. Christ joins the bread and the wine with flesh and blood. So he takes Cain's sacrifice, he takes Abel's sacrifice, and he joins them together. Why has it been there my whole life? I don't know. I don't know why people don't see that. It just seems so obvious once you, once you see it. Uh, and so, so that's one of the things that Christ does is he, is he, is he, but he doesn't only do that. So that's why he's also the shepherd. He's also all of those other images, but mm -hmm. he's also the sower, the reaper, the city. He's also the, you know, the, the king of the new Jerusalem. I'm thinking of the prodigal son with regards to the oldest as well and the, and the youngest and, and, yeah. it's really, and, and the oldest is the one left out upset. Is, that's is, a, I think that's a, I think that's a little different. Like, I think that's okay. more related to the idea of the, the lost sheep. Like the, one of the things that right. Christ is doing, which is Christ, Christ is connecting everything together. And okay. so one of the things he does is he goes to the margin. So he, he's always going to the edge. Okay. He goes, so, so it's happening in every way possible. You know, he, he speaks to prostitutes. He, he, he speaks to tax collectors. And I like the tax collector one because all the like lefty Christians, they all love the margin until the margin's a collaborator. No one loves the, no one likes a collaborator, but a collaborator is also a marginal figure, right? So Christ goes to all the margins and he connects to all the margins and he, and he, he, he puts his hand out and he's like, here's a way to come in, but here's, I'm giving you a way to, 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 to come in. Like all of you that were lost, that were outside, I'm going to connect it all together and you can participate in this. And so that's what, that's what Christ, that's one of the things that Christ does. So he goes to get the lost sheep. And so the idea in the, the prodigal son is more to do with this moment, you would say in in scripture, where in this version, actually the, the prodigal son is more like the pagans. Right? He's closer to the pagans because he's saying, I'm gonna, I'm gonna save those that were that that were not inside, those that left, those those that stopped following God, those that went their own way. I'm gonna bring them back. So don't be resentful because I'm going out there and I'm gonna get all of them. But don't they see the Jews as the firstborn, like as the chosen people? Is, is, that, is that in this or not really? I don't think they see, I don't think, I mean, I see they see themselves as the chosen people. I'm not sure about the firstborn part. I just wanted it to work well. Because they're, the, like, they're like, really the children of Abel. Like, I mean, they're not literally the children of Abel because Abel's dead. But right. they're, they're pastoralists. They're, you know, right. they're, okay. they're, they're nomads. They're, so that one's a little bit different from the oldest and youngest situation. It's a little, in that, in that story, it doesn't exactly have the same function. Okay. Okay. Well and, well, and that's good to know because I am like just getting into this symbolic well, world. If you, want, if you want another little hint at what I'm talking about, like, so David, King David is a hint at Christ as well. Because mm, King mm -hmm. David, he is a king. Mm -hmm. how why do they why all of a sudden these nomadic people these like shepherds are all of a sudden they have a king and they have a holy city like what is going on like why do they have a temple and a city right and so that's why 
That's why there's a, you can find it on your own. There's a place in scripture where God says that, that it says that, that uh, David was redheaded. Yes, I've heard ruddy. So that right? he was, he was Adam, that he was red. Because yeah. he's Adam. He's, he's also connecting. He's also bringing back Cain a little bit. Like, Okay. Oh, I just, okay. This leads to more. Like, so, okay. Well, I've heard you talk about David is like a, the, a mirror, mirror to Christ or. He's very connector. close for the Christ. That's for sure. And I, and I, but I don't, I've not actually heard you ex fully explain it. So maybe I missed a video or two. <laughs> I mean, I've only talked about it in the video that I, where I talk about the fool. Um, I mean, he, he, because he, he, David is weird, man. David is that story. That story is he's the second you king up. too. He's not the first king. He's the second king. Yeah, but he's he's the he's like the it's the reason why he's the second king is is important because he's the hidden king. He's like the 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 hidden Messiah, right? He's the he's the hidden king that is king, but no one knows he's king yet. And so then there are all these stories about him kind of taking power from the evil king or taking power from the king of this world, you would say. But he does it without revolution. Hmm. Right? And so it, it's very similar to Christ, where Christ is going to take, he's going to conquer Rome. Anybody who says Christ didn't conquer Rome doesn't understand anything. Like Christ did conquer Rome. It's funny because the, the Jews were thinking he's not the Messiah because he didn't conquer Rome. Well, Christ did conquer Rome. I'm sorry, he did. It took 300 three, years, but he whatever, still conquered yeah. Rome. Yeah. You know, uh, but he did it without a revolution, right? He did it without without bloodshed. He did it without without refusing the authority of the of the the power that's in place. Um, and so you could say that Saul is like a fallen is like the fallen Cain. He's like the bad Cain. Okay, so there is the that kind of dichotomy. Of, the bad aspect of that, right? So he's, okay. he, he's always trying to pin down David. He's trying to fix him, right, with a lance. Yes. Like Abel. He's always trying to do that. And at first, David is the shepherd. But then, so it's like Cain trying to kill Abel. But then David is a, he's, he's very close to Christ because he, he kind of then embodies, he's a shepherd and a king. And he's also he 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 brings all these things together. It's like David. That story is a wild story. He kind of he he's starting to manifest all this. Let's say he brings in the different aspects into one character. Well, I'm thinking even the priestly bit when he and his men were hungry and they right. needed food. Yeah, and he, he eats did the, he eat, eats and the they host, were allowed to. Bread. Like, why is it that David can eat that? Why is it that David can cause do something which is considered sacrilege? Yes. And he gets up. away with no, it. It's a messed somehow. up story. That's right. Yeah. Okay. It has okay. to do with transgression in the holy place. Uh, and Christianity is all about that. I talked about this before. That's why Christ solves the, the, the riddle. And he solves the riddle of David too, because David isn't totally right either. He, mm -hmm. he doesn't totally get it right. He's, he's still off. But Christ solves it. He brings the scandal into the holy place. But he solves it by making it not a scandal at the same time. So it's like we take, we eat his body and his, we drink his blood. What the heck? <laughs> but we're not like we're eating bread and 
drinking wine, but it's the, it, but it's the true body of Christ. So it's right, it's that's like why it's, I know that that's why we were called cannibals by the Romans right, back it's, in it's, the day. <laughs> it's resolving the the problem. It's resolving the scandal. Resolving everything. I, I feel like we're like all over the place here in this discussion. Sorry. <laughs> it's, it's like little bits that I've picked up that I'm like, what does Jonathan mean by that, huh? And I just I I factored them away, and then they kind of just came out. So. All my all my questions have been answered. And I'm feminine, and I've got the I've got the question. So <laughs> I framed it. I'm helping. There you go. It. There we go. Oh, okay, I think I'm done, Mercury. We did have a couple audience questions, but I had one last one. If you don't have time, go for it. Go for it. Go for it. I'm having fun, so this is good. Okay, so I'm also in Quebec. I know you were hit hard by the flooding last year. Yeah. Um, I don't know how. Like for me. I was already living off disability and for me, the pandemic, like I was lucky in the flood, my farm's up high and with the pandemic, it's been the opposite of affecting me badly. It suddenly thrust me into a full-time job that, hmm. I mean, it doesn't pay. I'm still living off disability, but I'm wondering, you got hit hard by the flood. Were yeah. you also hit hard by the pandemic or? Is that, that's been, I've been surprised. Flood? No, I was really expecting, I was really getting ready. Like in March, I was thinking, okay, I need to get ready for like my revenue to go down. I need to get ready for all this to happen. And for some reason it didn't happen yet. And so I'm grateful that I'm really, I mean, I've had people, like I've had patrons tell me like, okay, I can't support you. And I, and like, I'm like, you know, thank you for everything you've done already. Totally understand it. But then I've seen other people kind of come up and I've seen the same with my with my commissions for carving, where some people have said, "Look, I need to postpone this. I'm this is too uncertain. I'm not sure." But I have so many orders in advance that I'm not like I just haven't seen I haven't seen it yet. So I mean, it might come in the fall. Like I keep thinking maybe the brunt of it's going to come when all of this kind of settles and you know people really start to feel the the pinch. But for now, it's 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 as if we're just kind of. You know, besides the madness, besides the insanity of of being in this this time and trying to understand really what's happening and trying to figure out what the play is, like what's being played, you know, what are the stakes? Besides that, I've been I've been okay. And uh, mentally, mentally is the problem. On that note, then, because uh, I have a lot of thoughts about what hand, what card the angels are playing right now. Uh, what do you think's going on at the moment? Um, I think we're in a, in a time of really of like massive chaos. I really do think we're on the edge of the world. You know, I'm not. And so I think that it's not surprising to see what we're seeing. We're seeing excesses on all sides at the same time, excesses of, of control, excesses of chaos, excesses of, uh, you know, of mothering, excesses of fathering, excesses of, it's just everywhere. Like there's just, we just move from one excess to the other. And not only do we move from one to the other, but they flip, right? So one week, one faction is, has, has a discourse and the next week, the same faction has the opposite discourse and has the discourse of their enemy. And so you have this like, it's, it's insane. It's a really, it's enough to drive you crazy if you're you don't, not careful because it really is showing how much in upheaval our world is in terms of 
terms of identity and in terms of of ideology and so i think that i think that that's what's going on and i'm not saying there is an opportunity um i think there is an opportunity but uh i don't know how long that opportunity is going to last it seems it might it might fade pretty fast i just we'll see what's the opportunity well the opportunity is that you can reframe the world and so one of the things that have been very pernicious the modern let's say the modern perspective on the world right from let's say the late like from the renaissance the the enlightenment this the kind of incipient scientism materialism that kind of thinking has really been pernicious for christianity i think like very very pernicious um and postmodernism and let's say the postmodern moment or the the moment of upheaval this moment of chaos and of flipping narratives and everything is a moment where that narrative is also coming apart and so so i think that now the things that i'm saying i think that i think that 50 years ago people would not have understood anything of what i'm talking about i think they just wouldn't it would not have been even possible to talk about these things whereas now because the frame is open for is open to be grabbed so like we can the frame is open for those that can that can grasp it and so i think that all of a sudden people's intuitions are also are also awakened and that and because of that then they they're more capable of understanding the idea of a frame of reality itself like because when i'm talking about when i talk about symbolisms i'm saying this is not i'm not talking about just things i'm talking about the frame by which things present themselves to you and and i think that now people are capable of perceiving it whereas well, like i said whereas not that long ago they just weren't so there's an opportunity okay but can i ask a follow up question sure like what are these intuitions like can you break it down exactly i i know what you mean but i i would love it to be articulated you mean, well the intuitions the intu, intuitions are when a particular meets a pattern that's 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 maybe the best way to see it is when through through a particular you encounter something that's beyond it and so you you see that this thing is more than what is there right so there's an event there's something in your life there's a movie there's a story and then all of a sudden you can it's like you can see it shining it's it's kind of it kind of glows or not physically but it glows in in a in a epistemological sense like it it pops out and it full it looks like it's full of life and then you have that's when you have an intuition of okay this is there's more hmm. right it's okay. dangerous it's a dangerous thing because that's what that's what people who fall into kind of wild crazy conspiracies that's hmm. also what they have they 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 have these intuitions but because they don't have in my opinion because they don't have the proper frame then that intuition is limited to a weird material causality and so they have to so because they see meaning in something they have to imagine that someone somewhere put it there maybe for them directly you know that kind of weird stuff where it's like someone is trying to talk someone is communicating with me you know like aliens are communicating with me because i can see meaning in something right mm. google is talking to me i've heard people say that kind of stuff where it's like 
I, you know, Google seems like Google is actually answering things that are too meaningful, right? Because, okay. because it's like they see this pattern. Um, and so it's, it can be dangerous, but it's also an opportunity to understand that the world is, is patterned. Yes. I, okay, I just did an interview last week with Sean Carroll. Um, he's, a, he's like a, a, a physicist and um, like a theoretical physicist. And he was telling me about how that's what they do, patterns. That's what they're looking for. And I actually thought of you and I wanted, I actually, I'm like, I don't know how to, I didn't know how to frame a question to him <laughs> about symbolism and the patterns there. Um, but I was like, maybe someday I will be like good enough in how to, how in the world do I frame a question about patterns and symbolism to a theoretical physicist? Do you want me to, do you want me to, do you want me to give you uh, uh, an in for the next time you talk to a, a physicist to see how sure, you get out the pattern? Sure. Right. So, one of the, yes. so one of the problems with, with scientists in general is that they, they're standing and they look at the world and they try to see patterns in the world. Okay. Now, the pro one of the difficulties, and I think it's it's actually kind of some some physicists right now are seeing the problem, but not a lot of them aren't. So the question is, is there a pattern to the way you look at the world? So it's not just the world that has a pattern. You also are patterned, and your mechanisms of understanding are patterned. Hmm. So it's not like you're in a, you're a weird objective, like completely neutral thing mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. is looking at a patterned world. You are also patterned and your perception is patterned. And so then that's when symbolism comes into, comes into, into, comes into the sphere. So it's like, does, do your thoughts have a pattern that you can, that are similar to the patterns that you view in the cosmos? Do mm. your, does your family have a pattern similar to the patterns you view in the cosmos? Do, does all human activity, is it also patterned in a way similar, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. as, as the cosmic patterns? Mm. And so then it's like, then it comes back. The, the, it's like you have to now like look back at yourself and see that you're also that you're also patterned. patterned. Yeah. So, as anyways, within, that's what. Without. Sorry. I said as within, so without. Yeah, and that's mm -hmm. the that's the that to me is the key. That's why like I'm that's why I'm attracted to, and connected to people like like John Verveke or people who talk about emergence and and the idea of conscious the problem of consciousness and the relationship between that and emergence. All that stuff I think is important. In terms of, in terms of coming to the end of scientism, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. using science to 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 flip science, right? Because mm. it's, cause like it's, it's it's like let's let's point science back at consciousness and see what happens, and you're going to be mm -hmm. surprised. It's going to look a lot more like religion all of a sudden. Have you heard uh, Donald? Is it Donald Hoffman? Yeah, yeah, I have heard him. Yeah. Well, there's somewhere that science is flipping it and saying, hey, the spiritual people telling you that there's something more real than what you see is scientifically a valid idea. His work I find fascinating. Yeah, well, it's because if, once you try to account for consciousness, 
you know, if you try to brush it under the table, you're just being a complete idiot because you can't brush under the table the thing by which you're brushing it under the table. <laughs> right? You you just can't. You can't use the tool to, to, to you can't use the tool of brushing to brush the tool under the under the under the rug. Like that doesn't work. Well, and so I think they've mistaken the tool for themselves. They bonded with that tool, so they don't think they're using a tool. Exactly. That's what it is, yeah. Mm. But once you turn it back and then you try, you start to look back, then all of a sudden, um, yeah, that's when this weird desire to understand how consciousness participates in emergence, you know, and then, and then the, that's, and so, so coming after Don Hoffman, a lot of, a lot of ancient cosmologies are not going to just sound as stupid anymore. They're just not because the pattern of something is not in the thing. You can't find it. It's above it. It transcends the thing. So I think the problem we've had is in part related to Plato, let's say, or in part related to that, that, that line is that we've tried to see this, these patterns just as concepts, let's say, or as ideas, right? But if we understand them as related more to consciousness or will, like in, in orthodoxy, we talk about how the divine essences are the wills of God in the world hiding under, under phenomena. So the, the, the essences of things are actually the wills of God for those things. The purpose, the hidden purpose, in, on, you know, of things, is is a personal. It's like it, it's more related to consciousness than it's related to, than to just concepts or you know abstract abstracts. So it's more like mm. intelligences. So they end up that's what they end up being. They end up being more like intelligences. They end up looking more like a hierarchy of angels, you know, or a hierarchy of gods. But the hierarchy of angels is better because it's the angels are submitted to the highest. Whereas in the, you know, in the, the pantheons, there's, it's just so messy. It's like just a huge mess. Just listen to myths, myths and legends, people. That's you'll, right. You'll see the mess of the, of the pantheons. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. And so Shane's camera died. He was going to ask the audience question, but um, like we're still recording and everything. Uh, so he sent me uh, a couple of the audience questions. Okay, so sure. Jonathan, does symbolism take precedence over what is metaphysically slash logically explainable? And if so, why? Now, that's two words that are quite a bit to put together. Yeah. Um, I don't, I, I would, I wonder what he means by, by metaphysically and logically. Um, hmm. And so <laughs> maybe try them one at a time so does symbolism take precedence over what is logically explainable and if so why yeah well the thing about symbolism and which i think does take precedent just on logic is that let's say i often talk about the pattern right and then sometimes i talk about what i call the meta pattern and so the meta pattern is both the pattern and the breakdown of the pattern and so in, so that's why we, that's why I'm able to talk about things like the fringe, like the margin, like the periphery, right? Because that's also part of the pattern. Now, the problem with just logic 
is that it doesn't account for the monsters. It doesn't account for the freaks. <laughs> but if you understand how, so if you, so if you have the image of the hierarchy, but you also understand the manner in which the hierarchy breaks down and how the breakdown of the hierarchy, when I talk about also in a non-dual perspective, the idea that the breakdown of the hierarchy can actually be turned into something which is more like glory. Like, so there's this like death into glory. And so it's like that precedes logic um, because it contains also the manner in which logic fails and what that also looks like. Mm. So maybe that's the best answer I can give I'd like to point out when you said freak, Andrea looked at me and giggled. Well, I didn't. <laughs> She's looking at I, her screen. I just was like laughing in general. You happen to be in the general direction. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so I just said, I think that like, I think of Kirk and Spock and how Kirk is the, the captain, not Spock. And there's a reason for that, right? <laughs> I guess, I guess. I mean, I guess. There is something to this, Jonathan. You Kirk, Kirk is supposed to, yes, Kirk is supposed to supposed to be the bridge between Spock and Bones. Like that's supposed to be his role. It's supposed to be the one yeah. that unites the the like the 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 raw emotional guy and the hyper rational. There. Symbolism. But I happens. yeah, it is symbolism. <laughs> Maybe not the deepest symbolism, but yeah, it's symbolism. <laughs> oh come on, we gotta gotta have a few little we gotta we gotta please the the, the nerds <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> which i am one you sir. are one of the nerds okay i watched star trek i watched star trek next generation of the teenage i was okay i i'm more it. that a, I, I yeah i'm more of a picard girl yeah i like picard i, I, I did like picard <laughs> okay sorry about okay please All right, so another another audience question if you have one go for it Okay, so the next one, and yeah, Shane, if you have more audience questions, I think you have a few, send them. But Shane decided to ask one himself next. So he said, first of all, love your work. So interesting and powerful. And he says, when you talked earlier about grasping for the frame, can you give an example of how that would manifest in someone's life and in the larger world? I mean, the idea is to understand your your place um that can sound horrible when you say it that way like know your place uh, well, no it's much better to know your place yeah like yeah it yeah like no, a finger wag, but yeah especially as a monster learn your place um and stick to it and stick to your place uh so i think that it has to do it has to do with that it has to do with with properly estimating the potential that you have right properly estimating the the actual the actual potentiality so it means not aiming end up so you end up not aiming too high you end up not aiming too low right mm -hmm. so i mean you meet people who who struggle to do that in every single way like you meet the guy who who says he can't meet uh, a girl but the only reason is because he's always uh, aiming out of his league like and that sounds like a horrible way, but it, I'm trying to find a very practical manner in which, in which like that can happen. Right. And you, you meet you. So the idea would be to, 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 to properly understand your, your possibility. Right. So the mystery, the mystery of Christianity, this is one of the mysteries of Christianity is that there, it has to do with this idea of the Virgin mother, actually, it has to do with this idea of virgin, of virginity. 
which is that the, the highest saints are the ones who actually, let's say, go the lowest in terms of, let's say, self-denial, something like that, where they actually eliminate, they actually go, like they actually eliminate their frame, all the frames, right, until they're nothing, and then, then they're illumined because they they've eliminated all the worldly trappings right they've eliminated all the all the hierarchies so there's nothing i don't want to i want to be careful I, I, there's nothing wrong with the there's not necessarily anything wrong with the the natural social hierarchies but those who are able to divest themselves from those are the ones who reach the end up reaching the highest but in terms of the natural just regular hierarchies it's similar right it's like if you understanding you know there's nothing wrong we actually it's funny because there is a problem with that right now today which is that we have a system which only values one type almost only values one type of success and so there was a time in history where you were born into a family of bakers and that was your world and that was awesome and it was fine to be a baker and it was fine to like to become that and you didn't have to, there wasn't this idea that if you don't go to college, somehow you're, you're, you know, you're suspect or whatever, you know? And so that's, it, it, we've struggled with that in the past few generations where the capacity, we want everybody to be equal rather than say, you know, this person would make a great, you know, like a great construction worker. And that's awesome. Like do it, man, knock, like knock it out, you know? And then this person would make a great lawyer. It's like, yeah that's it that's your frame like that's your possibility take it there you know um rather mm. than making every everybody the same supposedly which is just baloney mm. the other thing we've done now that you know the child growing up in the family of bakers wouldn't have had is we over glorify certain positions so that child growing up knowing they're going to be a baker doesn't feel all that adolescent pressure to be a rock star or that's a right. movie star to look like Brad Pitt and be as yeah. smart as Sam Harris. And yeah. I, I think in one way that, especially now that anyone can suddenly be a star, the way it's almost yeah, like- Yeah, YouTubers, yeah. Um, and it can be now just, you don't need to be exceptional in any way that except that you can suddenly be famous. Mm. It's this weird pressure everyone feels to be exceptional, that somehow you're less than that rock star. Yeah. Um, whereas it's just not the case. We're glorifying certain things needlessly while degrading other things that have so much value. Yeah, well, that's for sure. Jesus was a carpenter, so <laughs> other aims, but he had a different aim than the typical. But still, start from there. You know, um, Jesus was a carpenter because he was there to save Cain. Uh, another one. <laughs> I just stumbled onto because that. Because who 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 is the carpenter? Like who's the tech who's the technical person in Genesis? Like is, is that one of the things that his his descendants The came descendants up with? of Cain are the are the ones who who create metallurgy, who, who make cities, who make weapons. Oh yeah. Well, I just you know there's that song Jesus was a crossmaker. Yeah. Like <laughs> That just came into my yeah. head. But you're like, oh, no, no, there's a lot of symbolism that we talked about before. 
Okay, wait, I have a question. Even though I'm like, okay. I've had questions. Maybe I'll I wait till the end. Take away for a washroom break anyway. So take okay, right. okay, okay, good, probably, But I'm probably gonna, I'm probably okay. gonna finish soon though, guys. Oh, so, okay. yeah. Okay. Two minutes, I won't. All right, okay, all right. Okay, okay, should I, wait, should I ask the question or should I let Ask the question, it'll be the last question. And then we're oh, okay. done. Okay, how did you learn all of this? Uh, I think I've I've probably mentioned this before. So it, it part of it is my brother Mathieu, who wrote a book called The Language of Creation mm -hmm. recently. But when we were in our twenties, we both developed this intuition at the same time, and we both kind of were ravenous in our reading and our curiosity and uh, and our discussions i mean it was just crazy it was non-stop for several years and uh and that's how it started really you okay. know and i mean part of it was also just reading certain books which triggered a, a transformation and then discovering traditional christianity and the truth is like i can't totally account for the intuition like I can't tell you why for some reason I, I can see this pat these patterns. I it's a gift from God, I don't know, whatever. I I I don't totally know. Um, but for sure at some point in my life I I my brother and I we were able to to kind of perceive these patterns. Brothers. Mm-hmm. Cool. There's that. But you worked together. So it's coming back to the conversation. Cal always <laughs> come back to the same spots. All right, guys. Three, are you, are you, oh yeah. So we're, I think we're, I'm. I think I'm gonna go because yeah. this is. I usually I rarely go for this long in conversations, but it was fun. It was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Thank yeah. you so much, Jonathan. This was very and fruitful. It was nice to meet you. And send me a link to the to the talk once you guys put it up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, bye. All right. All right. Good night, everybody. And bye, bye to the audience. All right. Bye, bye everybody.